I want to talk now about the Kiruvim, cherubim, and what they were. So we have the images, Kiruvim, whatever they are, cherubs, embroidered on the Ark Curtain. And in Parashat Titzaveh, they'll be made of hammered gold and placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And remember that it is from in between the Kiruvim that God speaks, because God speaks from above the Ark, from in between them. And they guard as well, as I mentioned, the Garden of Eden. And in the first temple, the Temple of Solomon, these 10 cubit high figures are placed in front of the Ark, and you pass by them. So what do they look like? We don't have any exact images of them. They midrashic folk etymology, not real etymology, just straight up fun midrash. Rabbi Abahu says that, well, the form keruv sounds like hiravya, like a young child. And hence we get the depiction in art and literature of the cherubim as baby angels. It could also be that he's writing in the time of the early church. And they, so we don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, the, the, the cute little baby Cupid cherub, or already images of those from Cupid, from Hellenism, or from early Christianity, uh, or whether they got it from us. Talmudic legend also has it, and this is a widespread Talmudic legend, that one was male and one was female. And therefore, when the curtain was pulled away, according to Talmudic legend, people would actually see the male and the female um, cherub sculptures engaged in an act of sexual congress. The Talmud records also that the Moabites would make fun of us because we, supposedly the ones at, who are abstract monotheists, actually have images right in the Holy of Holies of two creatures engaging in sex. Other Jewish philosophers defend it by saying they had to have two, because if they only had one, people would think that was an image of God. Basically, we don't really know exactly why they're there and how they looked. In Samuel and in Psalms, God is depicted as riding on them, which is something that we see in other ancient Near Eastern cultures. The medieval commentators, the Radak and the Rabag, almost agree with Abahu, but see them as human adults with wings, like the modern images and films of angels, and which can be seen in medieval Jewish manuscripts. Some modern scholars actually agree with this view, since it agrees with other ancient Near Eastern iconography of a human with wings, and some modern scholars agree with this view. There's Professor Bari Lan that says it's right, based on the fact that the, the height and the wingspan are identical. And they say that it is only a human rather than a bird or a lion that would, would have the proper proportions to make that so. Rashbaum and Kizkuni see them as birds. I mean, literally as like these beautiful birds alighting on top of the ark. And some scholars agree because they see them like, you know, when you're looking at hieroglyphics and you see those two Egyptian birds, like one facing the other as kind of decoration, they see them as that, as the two birds facing each other. And this is likely the basis of the bird Haggadah, the theme of bird imagery. Other of the medieval rabbis saw the Kerubim as angels in the image of oxen. Because in, the, in Akkadian sculpture, we see these big oxen with wings. The biggest proponent of, and we also see reference like this in Ezekiel, the biggest rabbi proponent of the ox with wings uh, uh, view is the famous commentator, the Bechor Shor, who I quoted several times this past year. And we don't know if it's related, his view, to the fact that his epithet, the Bechor Shor, actually means firstborn ox. 
So maybe it has to do with the fact that he saw it as an ox with wings. Still other scholars say the, there's always the griffin hypothesis that they were griffins, very common at the time in, in Near Eastern iconography. An eagle-headed lion is a griffin. Also, uh, fans of Harry Potter tend to uh, support this view. Griffins were well-established after all, and God took us out of Egypt on eagles' wings, and our souls are protected under the wings of God's presence. And then you have the Lion of Judah. And so we have the eagle, the griffin hypothesis. Many scholars um, consider the Caravim as standard sphinxes, a lion with a human head. And, but then we still have the problem with all of these of Ezekiel's vision, where Ezekiel says it has four faces, one representing each facet of the animal world, an ox face for domesticated animals, a lion face for wild animals, an eagle face for the birds of the sky, and a human face as well. Yehuda Halevi suggested that the word simply means mixed, similar, similar to the word eruv, so that it means hybrid. So like any hybrid creature would, would count. So everybody's right. So we don't even, and we're not exactly sure of the etymology. Does it mean anything that it's the word baruch spelled backwards? Let's focus for a moment on the other side of the spectrum, which is Maimonides. What is an angel, Maimonides asks. Without getting too far into exactly what it looked like, he rates the keruv as number nine on the scale of angels. So maybe someone would say, well, what is, what is an angel to Maimonides? For Maimonides, an angel is an extension of God in this world. It's God's essence put forth. And so each of the angels is a specific set of forces of God that operate in this world. He writes the following. The Talmudic and biblical references to angels are actually allusions to the various laws of nature. They are principles by which the physical universe operates. For all forces are angels. How blind. How perniciously blind are the naive. If you told someone who purports to be a sage of Israel that the deity sends an angel who enters a woman's womb and there forms an embryo, you would say that's a miracle and accept it as a mark of the majesty and power of the deity. Despite the fact that he believes an angel to be a body of fire, one third the size of an entire world. All this, he says, well, it's all possible for God. But if you tell him that God placed in the sperm the power of forming and demarcating these organs and in the ovum, and that this is the angel, and that all forms are produced by God, that here is the angel, the vice regent of the world, constantly mentioned by the sages, this rabbi will recoil and say that you're completely wrong. For the naive person does not understand that the true majesty and power are in the bringing into being of forces which are active in a thing, although they cannot be perceived by the senses. Thus the sages reveal to the aware that the imaginative faculty is also called an angel. The mind is a keruv. How beautiful this will appear to the sophisticated mind, but how disturbing to the primitive. So I'd like to give one example of, what, of defending Maimonides on what, how to see in the world what an angel of Maimonides definition could be. Back when I was in college, I had a friend, uh, the friend who died, I mentioned for Yisker 
at a high holy day service. And when we were at college together, she's the one who got me all excited about uh, Lewis Thomas. And she was a biology major and just really a special kind of mind in some ways, you know, too good for this earth. And one day she was going for a walk, true story, uh, back at college. And she noticed something which she ended up writing up into a, a paper and publishing. She noticed she was watching ants on a tree. And she surmised that the ants, the ants and the tree had a symbiotic relationship. She surmised that the ant was not a parasite and the tree a host, nor that they were coincidentally um, geolocal, but rather, and her surmise turned out to be correct, that some arrangement had been made by this ant, these ants and these trees a long time ago, that something that the tree provided the ant would rely on. And something, a service that the tree needed, the ant would provide. And unlike a parasite-host relationship, in a symbiotic relationship, it's covenantal. And it could well mean that when the tree dies, the ants can't survive because they no longer have the special thing they need from the tree. And should the ants die, the tree would sick and get sick and become diseased because it no longer has the protection of the special thing that the ant is doing for it. Here we have two things coming together to make a system to sustain each other. One of the angels is Rifua or Raphael, the angel of God, the angel of health. And some people have asked me, are we wishing for an angel to visit the people that we're praying for? And, and like Maimonides says, sort of regardless of whether an angel is half the size of the world or it's a cherub or it's a sphinx, it arrives and it heals the person um, externally in a sense. But do we reflect enough on like the tree and the ant? Is the body a connection of symbiotic relationships that make like an ecosystem? And what may be beautiful about the nature of our bodies and other animal bodies is, and ecosystems themselves, is that they are self-healing. They heal themselves. They have the pattern for healing, as Maimonides would say. They have the active intellect of the healing process unfolding within them. We rely on this every time I, I throw something out. When I throw something out, I basically say, I, I know it's not completely biodegradable, but I'm hoping the ecosystem can handle that. And in time, somehow this earth will balance itself and it can, it can handle that piece of plastic or it can handle the pollution I'm making. Somehow a tree is gonna suck up that carbon dioxide and we'll all be in good shape. So we're always relying on that the systems we live in basically search for equilibrium and have the parts in them compensate for changes so that they can find ways to heal. The different parts of them can find a way to work together so healing takes place. So when I'm wishing for healing, I'm enlightening myself to the fact in a Maimonidean way that in a way bodies are healing themselves. And what doctors, and Maimonides of course was a doctor, what they're trying to do is kickstart the immune process Often for those who suffer from immune challenges, it's actually that the body is overacting in its health intellect and uh, creating problems. And sometimes it's, it's underacting. But in many ways, 
it's not always a medicine that is curing. It's a medicine that is kickstarting and helping our body to heal itself. So on this day of the Keruvim, I ask us to deepen our sense of God's presence in this world, not always as external objects or invisible things. And so it doesn't matter if the Keruvim have wings or they're griffins or they're, or they're Ezekiel's four-faced angels. But let us see God's presence in this world as the forces that are happening around us and that we are privileged to be a part of, they penetrate us, they penetrate the earth. And when we acknowledge them, understand them and support them, we are supporting God's work in this world. Shabbat Shalom.